0: Amen, thanks again, audience of one. Hey, shout out to Quinn and the Pumpin' Pandas. First place, right? Second place. Just remember this, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It doesn't matter who's in first right now. It's all about who ends in first and the memory versus are so, so crucial. Um, Also, where's David at? Uh, David, you're somewhere in here. I'm going to be praying for a wife, a child, and hair for you in that order. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Hey, something that's been so fun for me to see this week is how God, whether he uh, gives Roxy a verse to share or... Um, I heard that New Life just recently finished studying through Daniel, uh, but just how God just brings his truth from so many different angles. And I actually saw him uh, do that tonight at the slime uh, when a counselor got questions wrong and, and the slime was about to come. You guys were all just like, slime them. They deserve it. And that's, I want you to see, and remember how you felt when they got the question wrong, and you're like, give them the slime, because we have this, this innate desire for justice, right? They, they got a question wrong, they deserve slime. That's the rules of the game. And it fits so well into what we're going to learn about tonight. So I want you to, to imagine a scenario for me, and it's, it's just a, a story that I made up. Uh, but it is real situations that do happen. So just imagine that you're sitting in a courtroom. And imagine there's a trial going on. And there's a suspect in handcuffs who's been accused of violently murdering their neighbor. But, but here's, here's how they're accused. They are actually, he was caught with blood on his hands and the murder weapon in his car. And as the trial has gone on, what you've seen is... It's so obvious that they, that he, is the murderer. But the, so the trial was almost more of a formality, and now everyone's attention is on the judge. He's about to declare whether this suspect is innocent or guilty. So the judge says, for the crime of first-degree murder, I agree with the jury that the suspect is guilty, and he slams his gavel down. And that's that. Friends, what, what do you feel? Yeah, we clap because we have this desire for justice. Of, of course the judge would say he's guilty. He was caught with the blood on his hands and the weapon in his car. And we have this desire for justice. They did something wrong, they got to an answer for it, right? Whether it's slime or whether it's in our court system today. And I, I told you night number one. That I love the age that you're in, and I love where God has brought your brains in the development level because you're able to process deep truth. And as I hear what your counselors are talking with you with, and as I talk with some of you, you're wrestling with big and and hard and heavy things. I just want to encourage you to continue to do that and then to again put your mature caps on tonight because what we're going to talk about is something that is a heavy truth. We're going to talk about sin and it's gonna be maybe painful, it might even be offensive, but I have one goal in here tonight. It's not that you know what I think of sin. I want you to walk out of these doors and know what God thinks of sin. I want you to know how God views sin. And and just to give you a little teaser for tomorrow night, tomorrow night we're talking about the good news. You may have heard the word gospel before. It's common in Christian circles because when we say the word gospel, that's the message that through Jesus Christ, we can be made right with God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. But here's a conviction that I have as I, as I open God's word and study it. We can't know the good news until we know the bad news. So we're gonna sit on the bad news tonight. And me, the Hume staff, your youth leaders, your counselors, we love you enough to tell you the bad news. Because the bad news is there, whether, whether you recognize it or not. The Bible's crystal clear on this bad news that we're gonna talk about. So we love you enough to not shy away from, from these hard and offensive conversations, because the bad news makes the good news that much more beautiful. Hey, can everyone say sin for me? Sin. sin. Here's the definition of sin that I have for you, that we see throughout God's word. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think that falls short of God's perfect standard. That's what sin is. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And if you're taking notes, if you've got your journal, it was fun to see Quinn just flipping through his journal last night. It's so encouraging for me to see how, how much you guys are just leaning in. But sin is anything we say, do, or think that falls short of God's perfect standard. In the Old Testament, I heard uh, one of the questions at slime was, uh, what are some of the Ten Commandments? And two of those Ten Commandments I actually had in my notes to talk about. One of them is, is God told the nation of Israel, you shall not murder. And then another one that I wanted to bring out is that you shall not commit adultery. Which means that you shouldn't cheat on your spouse if you're married. So you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. I think we all agree that those two things are wrong. And and what Jesus does when he took flesh and, and was a, a person, fully God, fully man, here on this earth, he actually didn't lighten what sin is, he actually doubled down and elevated our understanding of what sin is. Because in Matthew chapter five, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-one, Jesus says, You know that it is written, you shall not murder. But I say to you, whoever has anger in his heart towards his brother is liable to the same judgment. And whoever has an insult for his neighbor is liable to the same judgment. So Jesus shows us that from God's perspective, murder and insulting someone, they're both sin, so they both have the same consequences. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 28 of Matthew 5, that you know it's also written, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts at another woman and his heart commits adultery. So it's not just the action of sin, but it's even down to, to what we think and what, what we believe. So sin is anything that we say, do, or think that falls short of God's perfect standard. And just with those two categories alone... I would argue that that all of us, just from those two categories, before I bring all the other verses into it, we would say, I'm a sinner, if we're just looking at those categories that Jesus gives gives us. Sin is the foundational issue of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's not that he's selfish. It's not that he's uh, prideful. It's not that he desires God's sovereignty. The foundational issue of Nebuchadnezzar is that he is a sinner. And I told you night one, we're a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar in this story than we are like Daniel. And that's what we're just going to sit on tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and hold them up for me. Help me remember, friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So what we're going to read is directly from God himself. Go ahead and start opening up to Daniel chapter 4. While you're doing that, I told you we're going we're to look at the sin of Nebuchadnezzar, and, and my prayer is that as we look to his sin, we see our sin, which is point number one. Everyone hold up a one in the air. We are all sinners. Go ahead and write that down. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God doesn't leave us questioning here whether we're a sinner or not. Okay. So my prayer is that as we see the sin of King Nebuchadnezzar, that God almost has a mirror up in front of all of us, and we see the, the very same sin in our hearts, okay? So just a reminder, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand before the mightiest man on the planet, and they say, we'll never bow down to that statue. We'll never worship your gods. We'll only worship our God. And they're thrown into the fiery furnace, And Nebuchadnezzar is baffled because he actually looks into the furnace and he doesn't see three, he sees four. And he says the fourth has the appearance like a son of the gods. And then these three captives walk out of the fire and it's such a flex from God that they can't even smell smoke on their clothes. It's almost like they weren't even there in the furnace and God rescues them from that. And then chapter three ends with Nebuchadnezzar again making this awesome declaration That your God, the God of Israel, is able to save. And now, again, we're like, finally, Nebuchadnezzar's getting it. And then we hop into chapter 4. And uh, I'm not going to start reading yet. I'll give you a quick overview, and then I'll get to our main text, which is going to be down in verse 27 of chapter 4. But how this starts out is, if you can remember the play this morning, remember the Nez? He has a dream, and and it really disturbs him. And he's talking to Darlene here. He talks about the puppy, but what, what the Bible says is that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that really deserves him. So he does, what he, does in, what he did in chapter 2, and he summons all the wise men. And at this point in the story, Daniel has been appointed to high places, and his Babylonian name is Belteshazzar. And none of the other wise men can Can give the interpretation to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's so desperate this time that he even tells them what the dream is, but still nobody else can give him the interpretation. So in his desperation, he comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, or he says, Belteshazzar, I have this dream that greatly disturbed me. And then he describes the dream. And you'll see up there on the picture, Nebuchadnezzar says that there's this great and giant tree. And the tree, you see how massive it is compared to that mountain. I think this picture doesn't even do justice to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. There's this tree that covers the whole earth. And all the peoples of the earth have food from this tree. And all the animals on the earth find shelter under this tree. And all the birds of the earth are in the branches. And this tree is magnificent. But then there comes a messenger down from heaven. And it says, cut down the tree. But leave a stump Don't cut it out completely. Bind it with chains, and it will be like a beast of the field. And Hume once again did such a a great job portraying this, because remember how they ended with the Nez there acting like a wild beast. And Nebuchadnezzar tells this dream, and he's like, What's the interpretation? And this time, God is so kind to just give Daniel the interpretation right away, and he's actually terrified. And he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this was for one of your enemies, because you are the tree. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the most powerful man on planet earth right now. You're the tree. You, God has trusted you with dominion, but then there's going to come a messenger, and you're going to turn into a beast if you do not repent. So let's hop in now. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built up by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Turn to your neighbor and say, yuck. Yuck. This wicked, prideful, sinful king, when he's working in his own strength, this is where it leads him. With this gross long hair and nails that look like bird's claws and he's on his hands and knees eating grass like a beast of the field. This was the at one time most powerful man on the planet. So point number one I told you we are all sinners. King Nebuchadnezzar was a sinner the foundational issue of him. You and I we are sinners. And again, we want to understand the bad news so that we can know the good news. We want to look at Nebuchadnezzar's sin, and we want to see our sin. And when I think of the stories that we've studied so far and the interactions that we have with King Nebuchadnezzar, um, I was just praying and asking the Lord to reveal how King Nebuchadnezzar's sin is manifested, which means how we see the evidence of his sin. And I see it in three different ways. And again, we have it up here on the screen. The first way is in chapter 2, verse 47. King Nebuchadnezzar professes the right things. He says the right things. He has good theology, but he doesn't truly believe. That's one of his sins that we see. We also see idolatry when he builds this 90-foot golden statue. And then we see pride. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through these three different points. And again, praying that the Lord exposes your sin as we look at these. So that first one, point number one in chapter two, verse 47. Remember, Daniel comes and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, "This is what your dream was. It was about the statue." And then this is the interpretation of it. And Nebuchadnezzar is amazed, and, and he makes this awesome declaration, and he says, "Your God is God of gods and Lord of kings." But then remember, we said, "Oh no," because then chapter three came. And he didn't really walk out the profession that he made. So professing without truly believing. You don't have to turn here, but a very convicting passage that the Lord um, continually reminds me of is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And these are the words from Jesus as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's what Jesus shows us in the New Testament. That we can't come to God and say, look at what I've done. Even though these these guys are saying they've done awesome things, demons have been cast out, they've prophesied, but they say, look at what I've done. And guys, the only right way to approach God Almighty, our sovereign, holy God, is not to say, look at what I've done, but to say, look at what Jesus has done. And what the Bible shows us is that Jesus cares far less about what we do and far more about where our heart is and what we love. Is Jesus our Lord, or are we just doing the right things? And I mentioned the application uh, two nights ago that that I was going to bring in tonight that I think a lot of us in this room, including me, either are like this right now or have been like this, where we've maybe stood up at camp before, or maybe in youth group, we're answering all the right questions, and, and we just, we look the way that we know we should look, but then behind closed doors, our life is actually very different, and we're living a life of hypocrisy. Maybe we're saying and doing all the right things, but do we really believe? That's a question that we need to wrestle with. Unbelief, here we see, is a sin. And then, okay, the second way that we see the sin of Nebuchadnezzar is idolatry in chapter three. This one's really easy to see because it's literally a 90-foot golden statue And Melinda said it so well that maybe we're not bold enough to to craft this 90-foot golden image and tell everyone to bow down to it. But just because we don't do it the same way Nebuchadnezzar does doesn't mean that we don't have idols in our lives that are coming before God. So what is an idol? An idol is an image or a representation of God used as an object of worship. And further on in Scripture, we see that to idolize something is to to put someone or something before God. And for me, I'm not on Instagram anymore. And really the reason for that is I I couldn't handle it properly because my idol was my reputation. I I crafted this digital idol of myself. And I spent so much time thinking about what to post or, or how I looked or what to say here, just to, just to craft it where more people would be giving me praise and me attention, and I just want their likes. I wanted the attention, and that was where so much of my time, as I was thinking, went towards, was what is my reputation, what do they think of me? I was my own idol because I cared far more about what they thought of me honestly than I cared what others thought of God Almighty. So maybe for you, It's that same category. Maybe you struggle with the same thing that I still do. Maybe it's the social media. You just care what people think of you more than you care what people think of God. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's video games for you. That your day is just filled with thinking of this video game and it's coming before God. You love this video game more than you do the creator of the heavens and the earth. Maybe it's a boy that you like or a girl that you like which that, that's not a bad thing. God has given us this desire, but if, if it's replacing, if they are replacing God Almighty, then they are an idol that we just have to check our heart. Our reputation is a big idol today. Is it your comfort? Is that what you idolize? Do you just wanna be comfortable the rest of life? And, and that's priority over living your life for the Lord. Maybe it's a celebrity. The list could go on and on of what it is, and I'd encourage you, if I didn't name something that's applicable for you, to ask, God, do I have anything coming before you in my life? Because what we see through Nebuchadnezzar is is that is a sin that we also have in our heart. And then here's the last example, the, the main passage that we read from tonight, the sin of pride, this wicked, wicked sin. As I was studying, one of the commentators said that pride is the foundational sin in Nebuchadnezzar. And there was pride in every single sin that he had. But it's really just on full display here in chapter 4 when he stands on his balcony and beats his chest and says, look at Babylon, which I have created in my strength for my majesty. That's pride. And what's crazy to me about this is that Daniel told him exactly what would happen if Nebuchadnezzar didn't repent. And I said that word earlier, and what repent means is that if Nebuchadnezzar was going this way, just seeking his own glory and praise, if he were to repent, he would take a complete 180 turn and go the opposite way. So repentance in Nebuchadnezzar's life would have looked like not seeking, not seeking his glory, not seeking his praise, but just seeking God's, completely changing the trajectory of his life. And Daniel says, repent, otherwise this dream is going to come true, and he doesn't repent. And then he turns into this gross beast because he is a sinner who refused to repent and believe in the one true God. And here's what's so convicting for me as I I judge Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible tells us that punishment is coming for our sin if we don't repent and believe. And you've either heard it before or you're going to hear it tonight. That punishment is coming if you don't repent and if you, don't stop, if you stop living for yourself and you turn your faith into, into Jesus, our Lord and our God. If not, punishment is coming, which is my second point. Ready? If we're all sinners, here's what the Bible teaches. The wages of sin is death. And that's not Tyler's opinion. That comes directly from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. Well, what does wages mean? Does anyone in here have a job that, that they make money? What's your name? Josh. Josh, what's your job? Umpire. Umpire? And how much do you make? About 30 bucks a game. 30 bucks a game. So the wages for Josh when he's an umpire is 30 bucks a game. The wages for being an umpire for one game is Who else has a job? What's your name? Say it again. Soraya. What's your job? Referee. And how much do you make? $35 a game. John John might need a new career here. So Soraya's wages for refereeing a game is $35. Okay, one more. Yeah. You mow lawns. What's your name? Parker? Harper? Harper. And how much do you make? 18 bucks. Eighteen bucks. So Harper's wages for mowing a lawn is 18 dollars. And the Bible says, the wages of sin is death." This is terrifying, because if, if we're all sinners, the payment that we're going to receive that none of us can get out of is death. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And again, in the context of Romans 3:23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And some of you might be saying, Okay, yeah, maybe I'm guilty of some sins, but there's other people that are a lot worse than me. Then here's the verse for you: James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So if we have one sin in our life, we're guilty. God says that we deserve to die. Whether you agree with it or not, the Bible is so clear that this is how God views sin. Do you think this is bad news? Well, it gets even worse. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. You don't have to turn here because we're going to have it up on the screen. This is where I read from the beauty of verse 4 from this chapter. But there's also a terrifying verse here in verse 8 because verse 4 is for those who put their faith in Jesus but verse 8 is for those who continue in our sin those who continue in unbelief it says but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death so what's that what that is saying they're faithless Again, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's unbelief. I have unbelief in my life. As for the murderers, if anyone is angry with his brother, he commits murder in his heart. The idolaters, maybe it's not a 90-foot golden image, but what is the idol in your life that's coming before God? This is what will happen to those who continue in, in your sin is the second death. And in chapter 21, that's where we learn of New Jerusalem, this city that's our forever dwelling place. And for the children of God who have their faith in Jesus, they get to live in the presence of God in all perfection where there's no more tears, no more pain. But for the enemies of God who continue in our sin, they're gonna burn with the fire and sulfur which is the second death for all of eternity. This is called hell. And you may have heard of hell before. But this is the just, which means the fair punishment, that our sin deserves. And I want you to remember slam I want you to remember that example that I had of, of this man who was caught with blood on his hands. And the judge says, guilty. And we're like, yes, because we want justice. But then for some reason, whenever God says that we are guilty, we're like, that's not fair. And here's why God takes this so seriously. Night number one, I told you that God is sovereign and that God is holy. And if you remember what holy means, that means that he's morally perfect. If sin is anything we say, do, or think that falls short of God's standard, God has no sin in him. God is holy, and then God is also just. Wouldn't we think that the judge would be so terrible if he said, hey, I I know you were caught, and it's very clear that, that you committed this crime, but you're good you're free to go. What if God did that? Well, guess what? He he can't because he's just. He makes no wrong decisions. He always makes the fair and right decision, and the right decision is for sinners to die. Do you think that God's overreacting here? And it's okay to be honest with God. If you read through the Psalms I love how we can be honest with God in our doubt. And I've talked with some of you, and I've heard from your counselors, some of you have doubt. You can bring that directly to God. And you you might not be able to have all the answers, like Horatio Spafford didn't, and Shadrach Meshach and Abednego didn't. But we can bring this, our, our doubts and our questions to God and just see what He would do with that. But this is the bad news, that we're all sinners, and that the wages of sin is death. And tomorrow we're gonna to talk about the good news. But guys, I, I literally could not leave this night if I didn't just give you a little taste of what the good news is gonna to be tomorrow. Because I've been quoting from Romans 6.23: the wages of sin is death, but that's not the verse in its entirety. And Romans 6.23 is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's so beautiful that we have the word but there, and I couldn't put enough exclamation points because the wages of sin is death. That's the truth, but that's not the end of the story. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does that mean? First Peter chapter 2, verse 22, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. What that verse means is that Jesus, who is holy, who is perfect, who doesn't deserve to die, he knows how hopeless and how helpless we are in our sinful state. And he looks at us and says, I know you can't do it, but only I can do it. And he did it. Jesus came to this earth, didn't sin, and died the death that we deserve so that we can live the life that he has. That is the good news that is the gospel, and one day you're going to stand before God, and you're either going to die your death that you deserve, or God's going to look at you and see that Jesus died the death for you. There's no alternative. It's just those two options, so that's the good news that we're going to talk about the gospel in all of its glory tomorrow night, but tonight I want you to just sit in the heaviness of sin. I know that some of you came up here and you have sin in your life that you have kept hidden from everyone else. And now God's given you a counselor and God's given you a cabin that you can trust this with. And maybe there's other students in your cabin who's also holding back some sin that they don't want to confess because we want to impress our peers, right? We want to look good and strong. But the Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short. So guys, let's just be real and honest with ourselves. Stop trying to pretend like we're someone great and mighty and let's just come so vulnerable and honest and just sit in the heaviness of the fact that we are sinners and process through that together and pray through that and then come so hungry and so ready to hear about how Jesus meets us right where we're at and gives us new life. Let's pray. Jesus, it's such good news because the bad news is so severe. Lord, would we not walk out of this chapel with our opinion of what sin is, but would we walk out of this chapel just so confident that we know how you view sin and we know that you are holy and that you are just. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would speak through the counselors. I pray that you would speak through the students tonight and that sin will be confessed, and that we just come so vulnerable and so raw, and that we're not like Nebuchadnezzar where we refuse to to repent. Would repentance happen tonight, and would we see new life tomorrow? All for your glory, King Jesus. Amen.